everybody, and welcome to a new edition of the award-winning Talking About Cars, where it's all about everybody has a car story. From celebrities to car personalities, people you know who have some great car stories. I'm Randy Cardoon, and before we get going this week, our regular reminder, take a moment to subscribe to our podcast here on iTunes and SoundCloud. It's absolutely free. You'll be notified when a brand new podcast is uploaded, and we'd love to hear what you think of our show. Really, send us a review. Rank us. I'm holding out for five stars. And keep an eye on our social media accounts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and, of course, TalkingAboutCars.net. Check us out as well on YouTube. And for the first time, we're starting to seek out sponsors for our podcasts. If you're in a business you'd like to associate with our great guests and car stories, you can reach out at talkingaboutcars at gmail.com. Again, that's talkingaboutcars at gmail.com. Send us an email and we'll get together. This week, we're joined by Dave Kindig from the Velocity TV show Bitchin' Rides from the Classic Auto Show earlier this year in Los Angeles. And here's your visual. We're doing the interview in Dave's classic 55 Chevy Nomad rebuilt. The one he did at his Kindigit Designs in Salt Lake City, Utah. And as Dave tells the story, he and his crew pretty much went all out on this Nomad build like he does all the others. You know, I always say I build something that's kind of expensive that you really don't need. And so in this case, uh, when we were building the car for Mark, mm -hmm. uh, it was one of those things where he's in the oil and mining drilling, uh, drill bit manufacturing. And so sometimes you have to be a little flexible because again, you're selling something that nobody really needs. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you did see this car a lot of times in the background. And what's what's really great about Bitch and Rides and Velocity Channel is they give us the opportunity to build it over a 12 month period uh, each season. So these cars will start on them we may have to pull off for a minute for a customer uh, whatever but the shop is always full and we shoot all of the vehicles at the same time so you might have seen an episode with a vehicle finished mm -hmm. and then the next episode you see with another build you'll see that car still in primer in the backdrop well mm -hmm. those cars have all been being built over the whole year so well that's interesting because a lot of people will sit there and watch these TV shows and it cracks me up because they always think oh wow I can do this in an hour because they started it on this show and suddenly he's bringing it out right at the end it's not all a chip foos kind of thing where they do it in three days so this car really took a year oh yeah yeah actually we had this car for oh geez probably 16 to 17 months you know basically working on it the overall build time on this car is about 12 months biggest challenge what's the biggest challenge then to this particular car? Uh, unwinding a lot of work the if you remember in the episode this car had actually been in two other shops and uh, you know some of the work was a little bit subpar they might have been trying to cut corners to try and you know meet budget and whatever I don't build with a quote in advance I basically just charge time and materials and so something that we want to make sure is if we're going over somebody else's work that the work was done properly well when this car came to us it was in primer and there was obvious areas in the rain gutters here that had rust still in them and they'd primered over the top of it of course when we uncovered that we noticed that there was a good two or three inches around that back passenger corner of the roof that was rust they had overlapped and tack welded panels together which will allow moisture to come back in and eventually our killer work would be destroyed by rust from the inside so we disassembled it took all of the primer and bodywork off of the car started completely over we realigned the doors worked on the quarter panels because they were out of shape did a lot of work inside of the car replacing sections of the floors I mean there's there's so many little aspects it's funny as a car that we build, the idea is if this ever ended up being worked on in somebody else's shop, if they pulled the underdash panel off, mm -hmm. it would be tight and perfect and clean and there's no gobby, you know, 
things missing from the uh, from the uh, smaller details. So, what kind of hours are we talking about for a car like this? Uh, this one's uh, probably between thirty-five and four thousand hours. Wow! But again, every aspect. If you look under the hood, the car's got all of the metal finishing. We've made a completed smooth inner panels all the way around the inside of the engine bay just to make it look buttoned up and tight. Very clean interior. Uh, you've got, I like the fact that you even put the right steering wheel on, the original <laughs> steering wheel at least, and not necessarily size-wise, but certainly the inside part. You got the Nomad stuff, you got the updated design there, and of course very clean here, and I guess you all put it in the center here. Yeah, actually, you know what, uh, the idea is to keep the car looking very classic, and so what I try and do is play off of the telltale things that you would recognize for a 55 Nomad. The cool humps on the uh, dashboard, mm -hmm. the Dakota Digital gauges, those are VHX, so they're basically running all of the modern drivetrain, but they still have a classic line to them. And of course, I, a lot of times will custom dye or, you know, match the center of the face to the interior to make it all flow. You know, we were talking about the 35 to 40,000 hours that it took into this. Folks, I'm sure have seen the Copper Caddy. And, and so much work went into that. What kind of hours were we talking there? Uh, that's about 30% more. <clears throat> wow. Yeah, yeah, it was a big project, but again, you know, if it was easy, everybody would do it, and then it wouldn't be cool. Well, you're a rarity, Bitch and Rides, and your uh, shop is a rarity. You're in Utah, and it's a lovely place. Lived there myself for a while. It's a great place. You don't see much credit going out to places out there that, that have that kind of work. Talk about how you started that uh, car shop there, and, and what was your motivation? You know, actually, my motivation was to think outside of the bun. You know, I... Uh, I had seen a lot of people growing up and a lot of influential people would also, you know, say, you know, dream big and if you land just below it, it's not so bad. I always had the, the attitude that, uh, of what if. Uh, what if I didn't think like everybody else? What if I took a chance and built what I wanted to do and created a, a great lifestyle for my family, my wife and I? And, and uh, <clears throat> after eight and a half years of high performance coatings and being discovered with my renderings, which was just a hobby, uh, cashed in my 401k two weeks after my son was born my oh, second wow. child, uh, Drew, and uh, quit my job, started my business out of my garage, which seems to be a very practical and smart thing to do <laughs> as soon as you have, you know, two kids, a wife, and a house payment, sure. and a car payment. Quit your job, cash in your 401k for only $4,800 after eight and a half years, uh -huh. and start your business. And uh, to be honest with you, I wasn't scared. Uh, my wife uh, had, was convinced that if I kept my mind to it, I would accomplish it, um, and it, and it happened. So what motivated you? Did you see other shows like yours on Velocity and say, I could do that, or what was the motivation there? Well, actually, you know, um, when I first started my business, there really wasn't any shows on TV that were just specifically, you know, car builds and the dramas and all that kind of stuff. It was a, it was a little bit longer into it because I've been in business now coming up on 18 years. Mm. I very much started my business primarily to compete with ISCA, build great cars, good friendships, and, and be able to do something that was exciting for a living. Uh, later on, I was actually guests on other shows, My Classic Car, Car Crazy, Hot Rod Television, Low Car TV, and SEMA coverage, but I was always a guest on somebody else's show. Uh, lo and behold, we were at a car show in uh, uh, southern, uh, south uh, of the uh, point of the mountain in Salt Lake in Orem area mm -hmm. uh, for one of the automotive uh, colleges, and Dennis Gage was a, a guest there. We had the Cavallo Rosa 1937 Chevy that was on display. It was a beautiful car, it won SEMA, mm -hmm. uh, GM Design Awards, and, and many 
other awards. Dennis was not making any contact, eye contact with anybody, and I'm polishing off a Roadster sitting next to Cavallo Rosa. The, the gauge cluster centered in the dash caught his eye. He stopped, he backed up, he looked inside, looked around, looked at the car, wound his mustache, and he says, is this you? And I said, yeah. He goes, where'd you get the cat, uh, the gauge cluster? I said, well, we built it from scratch. This is a pretty serious car. I said, I'd like to think so. He goes, would you mind filming with me? And the rest is history. We hit it off. Dennis is a great friend of mine, and I had the opportunity to do that. Well, pretty soon, Hot Rod Television, the 68 Mustang called The Boss that we had, that started standing out a lot. And uh, Dennis Zarul, the producer of Hot Rod TV, kept it in a couple of episodes, did some interviews with me. And, uh, you know, fast forward again a couple of years, we were getting the GM Future Liner. My media director sent out a media blitz that we were getting this big project. Uh, Bob Scanlon, the general manager of Velocity at the time, uh, uh, he's moved up now and, and a great friend of mine, and David Lee, seen this. And, uh, you know, it's, it's very often that they get somebody pitching a, a TV show. Mm -hmm. It's very often also that they just toss the ideas because, you know, they don't want to be, you know, mixed up with a thousand requests for you know, right. putting a TV show together. It's quite expensive to do. But they were familiar with my work, and the fact that a high-end hot rod shop was getting a GM Futureliner to restore, well, that kind of stood out to them. So they contacted us and asked if we would do a sizzle reel, which we did. A uh, production company out of Park City came down, we did it. They loved the way that the shop was laid out. They loved the fact that we'd been together for so long. You know, Kevin had been with me since day one. I've got guys and gals that have been with me 12, 14 years uh, or more. And uh, the way that we all communicate, because we all hang out together even mm -hmm. after work, it just it was a huge hit and they said, let's do it. So. Wow. <laughs> so, so that was really, in a sense, your lucky break, if you will. Oh, well, I had a lot of lucky breaks before that, but this was certainly one that put us out in the forefront with everybody being able to see how it is and what it is that we get to do for a living that we're so lucky to do. So let's rewind a little bit and talk about your first lucky break as far as your career in, in cars and how it led to you doing television. Oh, first first big lucky break, I think, is uh, something that I was always trying to go for. I, was, I had gone to Salt Lake Autorama, which is an ISCA World mm -hmm. of Wheels uh, type show, and, you know, the fantastic award there was to have Utah's finest, basically best of show, something that belongs and was built in Utah. And I always wanted that. And I'd gone to the Autorama for years and years. Well, we got the opportunity to do a cleanup on a car that was previously built and we got Utah's finest, but it wasn't uh, something that we had built from scratch. We had perfected the car, built a display. So I was pretty proud of that moment. But 2006, the very next year, we had built a four-door Bel Air called Bella. It was a light blue and white car, beautifully done, lots of detail underneath, um, and it was a fantastic car. What year? Uh, 1960 Bel Air, and this okay. was in 2006. So there we were with the first four-door to ever go for Utah's Finest, and we nailed it. We won it. And I remember going back to the shop when we were taking all of our displays and all of our cars back to the shop late at night on a Sunday night and I remember getting there and I was just buzzing still with so much excitement that we had finally pulled it off entirely ourselves and I remember going over to my toolbox and throwing a couple of wrenches or whatever uh, down in, in, into the drawer and I remember looking back and looking at my team unload everything and the car rolling in and I went I straight up broke into tears I was just like we've arrived this how, is it how cool is that that's right and a 60 Chevy too the bat wings and the whole bit yeah this was basically the lowest end car it was a four-door post mm -hmm. but we had really made Made something quite special out of that car and, and it's still owned, uh, owned by the same family and been in the family for a long time and it's just quite an accomplishment to be able to to pull that off and especially with such a challenge I mean we was up against some really nice cars but we did it with a four-door all right fast forwarding and then rewinding again 
first car you remember growing up with, maybe it might have been the folks' car, uh, maybe it was your first car. What do you remember most? Well, it's got to be my uh, my Roadster Volkswagen. Uh, I always had this uh, great love for Volkswagen Beetles, and uh, I always had the lowest one in the Volkswagen Club. And, uh, you know, it was kind of funny as uh, while I was building my 61, I had I needed to buy a lowered beam, and I didn't have the $220 or whatever it is at the mm -hmm. time. But I did find another Volkswagen bug that already had a lowered beam on it. It was a 68. Well, <laughs> I bought the car, and when I went to change the beams out, I realized that King and Link pin front ends on the earlier bugs aren't the same as the ball joint front ends on the one that I bought to get the beam off of. So I ended up building that car instead and daily driving my 61. I ended up cutting the roof off of this car and making what we would call a roadster. Mm -hmm. I built a Carson top. I painted it Ford Bright Aqua white with or uh, uh, Aqua with the uh, white two-tone Porsche alloys, fat fenders down low. I mean, this thing was always cool. And I was always the kid in the Volkswagen Club that always had to have the lowest or the brightest car. And of course, back then I was pretty radical. I had no facial hair. Uh -huh. Couldn't couldn't grow a beard or a mustache to save my life. And I remember all of the pictures now that I look back, I had bleached my hair. So I looked like, quite literally, I looked like a Q-tip. <laughs> or Edgar Winter, one of the two, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so you brought up facial hair. So uh, if I wanted to get this, do I have to fill this facial hair in to do the, because you know, everybody in my job has clean shaven, okay? There's not a lot of guys on the broadcast side that mm -hmm. walk around with a facial hair. I mean, there's guys like you and Richard Rawlings. I mean, you guys have, you guys are experts on facial hair. What do you think? What should I do? I think you're doing fine. Just leave it alone. It's, yeah? it's very distinguished. Yeah, it stands out among the crowd. Exactly. All right, cool. This is why we like this guy so much. Awesome stuff. Okay, so we know what your first car was. Was this your car in high school? No, actually, uh, I, I just simply drove a, a 77 Toyota Celica GT that I'd bought for $600 out of the newspaper. That uh -huh. was my first car, but always had a huge love for Volkswagens. And actually, I traded that for a 59 Volkswagen, which I had for a very short time, blew the motor up. It was kind of a bummer, but I always, you know, continued to have that same love uh, for the bugs. What's in your garage right now? How many cars or what is your favorite? Well, my uh, daily driver is a car I call the Snob Rod. Uh, it's a 2010 uh, Mercedes CL63 AMG, big body two-door. I love the body shape and the fact that when you roll all of the side windows down, there's no B-pillar. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a very comfortable and powerful car, 543 horse, I think is what that one is. Mm -hmm. uh, I've still got a 29 Roadster. Um, uh, I've got a, a hot rod bug that I haven't touched in quite some time that I'll get back to. It's uh, basically what looks like a, a salon car from the you know, late late 40s, early 50s Volkswagen, but it's mm -hmm. a Hebmuller Coupe oh, salon. Wow. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, But I'm custom building it. It's very radical, but cartooned and tastefully done. And uh, actually, when I get back from this show, uh, my new car, because I sold my Volkswagen bus, uh, which set a record at Barrett Jackson, 1965 Volkswagen bus. How Thank how you. How much did it go again? Uh, hammer price was $275,000. They show it at $302,500. So I made a little bit more money on that, and I'd always had this uh, goal. Growing up very poor, I surrounded myself, uh, as a friend had told me, with things that I wanted the most and the people that I admired the most. Well, I had a lot of Ferrari posters all over the walls. And uh, after the sale of the Volkswagen bus uh, uh, last week in Scottsdale, I uh, bought myself a 458 Italia. 
Ah. And it's actually being delivered uh, today at the shop, and I'll return to the shop tomorrow, and it'll be sitting in my showroom waiting for me. And this guy is more than just doing 60 Chevys and old classic cars. That's uh, that's a step up. That shows that you have a, your mind's open to do more than just American cars, let's say. You know, I've always uh, been very passionate about design, and I've always loved supercars, uh, Volkswagens, muscle cars. I mean, I always think that everything has the potential to be the coolest car you see that day. You know, four wheels and a steering wheel and whatever you do with it might be the coolest. So, You've had so many cars with you over the years, 18 years doing the business. Is there the car that got away? What's the one you <laughs> wish you could get back that you sold? You know, I, I guess I've never really been that overly attached to everything that I ever had my hands on. There was one car when I had my first job was actually at Tom McCann Shoe Store in the mall, downtown Salt Lake. <laughs> And Rudy, the assistant manager, was like the really cool guy. You know, he'd listen to old rock and roll. Uh -huh. He had a 66 Fastback Mustang, and we went cruising State Street on Fridays and Saturdays after uh, work. Cruising had State a, Street. Had a great, you remember the days. Yep. And he also had a 63 uh, uh, Buick Riviera. And it was green on green. It had the 401, the automatic transmission, the posi track. And he never drove the car. And he says, Dave, I'll sell you this car for 500 bucks and I'll take payments if you want it. And I was like, cool. Now I'm thinking I got this really, you know, hot, big bodied car that's such an eclectic and I love the body style of uh -huh. those. Well, I remember I had that car for two weeks. I got two speeding tickets that was more than the $500 I needed to pay for the car. And my mom talked sense into me as well as my grandmother. She says, uh, you need to return the car. So I handed the keys back to Rudy and I said, dude, I can't afford to pay you for this car. Uh, I'm already getting so many speeding tickets is more than that. So that's the one that kind of got away. I would really love to build another, uh, that, that body style of Riviera is beautiful. And there's one here that's just absolutely gorgeous. Well, you're more mature now. You wouldn't get those speeding tickets that often. <laughs> right? Right. You would think. You would think. Actually, I've been a pretty good boy. Uh, I think it's probably been every bit of 10 to 12 years, I think, since I've had a speeding ticket. So, uh, you know, hey. drive safe. Don't do anything wrong. Absolutely. <laughs> you, you too can have that kind of uh, spell. Okay, so you may have already answered this next question. The car that's number one on Dave Kindick's list of the car he really wants to get one day. Is it the Ferrari or what is it? What is it? Oh, that was certainly on the list and I can check that one off. Um, you know what, actually, it's uh, my wife and I have been together for quite some time. Uh, this year is 25 years married and 27 years together the next day. Awesome. Thank you. And 26 years ago, one year after we'd moved in together, um, I sold her 67 Chevelle that her and her dad built while she was in high school. It was a 67 Chevelle Malibu. It was black with red interior. And I sold the car because we were sweating a $235 a month apartment payment. Mm -hmm. That's the car that got away for her. And I think to stay in good graces with her, I think that's probably next on my list. I think we're going to do a 67 Chevelle, do it upright with a custom chassis and LS power. Of course, it's got to be black with red interior again to match what she had and pay tribute to it. Do you know where the original one is? I haven't looked far enough yet. I would hope that I could find it. But to be honest with you, it's been, you know, 26 years. Yeah, no, it I could understand been sitting that. out in a field in Utah, and that's bad. Yeah, it's snow, salt. I tell you what, I had a 68 Malibu in the day, and I was driving around before I got another car. Use that as my sled car. You know what I'm talking about. Uh -huh. Yeah, so uh, I, I, that could mess up a car really bad, putting salt <laughs> on that all kind of stuff. All right, so. Next, what I'd like to do is I understand we have uh, a couple of questions from uh, our listeners and some of the people who went online. We said to everybody, we're going to have Dave on the show. Are there any questions that you have? And uh, I believe producer Julian has his cell phone. Well, I'll take that. Okay. 
You know, the last interview we did, we had it on paper. So we're moving up in the uh, technology, baby. Awesome. All right, John Bell, what was the most difficult build you ever did? Oh, it's got to be the 1939 GM Futureliner. Uh, over 37,000 hours in comparison to 6,500 hours on the Copper Caddy. Uh, it was 19 months uh, of production on it. It took up five car spots in the metal fabrication area. We actually had to build a, a, a wall, a, a removable wall around it, basically a big curtain, ventilation system. All of the work had to be done there because it was such a big project to move from one as aspect to the next. Um, that was a huge project, anywhere from five to 12 guys working on it at any given time. Wow. And how much did that end up costing to do? Oh, well, uh, much like everything else, I will never tell you how much something costs. Really? Absolutely not. Okay. But, yep. But and the reason I say that, and it's actually, um, I think that sometimes people form an opinion uh, when you tell them how much something costs, because one guy at one tax bracket might be like, that guy's ripping everybody off, that's more than my house, whatever. And then other guys are really like, well, you know, I could probably get six cars from him, and, and I don't quote anything, everything is just time and materials, but I think that it's smart in a lot of cases. Leave it up to the imagination of somebody. Besides well, the fact, if anybody's looking for a GM Futureliner, I have one, and I'll make you a heck of a deal. <laughs> and it's a really nice write-off. There you go, see? All right, Bob Hansen. You have a very unique logo. Did you design that? You know, I had a lot of uh, input in it. I, you know, it's funny, as a designer, uh, when I designed and, and, and came up with the way I wanted to do my signature, I'm a critic about my own work and my own personal things. You should see how many times I crinkle up paper when I'm designing a car for myself because I'm never happy with something like that. Uh, I have an easier time developing and doing something for somebody else. Mm -hmm. So when it came time to do my logo, I had some ideas of what I wanted to do, but I had a very talented uh, sign designer, a good friend of mine over at uh, MC Sign Works, and uh, basically they played off of what I started with and I'd make changes to it and, and I liked things. And, and of course, the logo that we have right now, I absolutely hated it really? at first up until we colored it and then stuck it on the back window of one of our cars and everybody's like that's awesome i love it i love it and finally i'm like going and eh, it's kind of cool and then of course <laughs> now it's like it's very uh notable i mean you can you can definitely tell our For logo sure. and so you know it's been a huge hit and of course i love it now yeah well there but, you go see yeah all right judy writes what advice would you give women and young girls who want to break into car design you know what, there's there's absolutely nothing different from women than there is for men. If they have a true love for the art and for cars and stuff, just go for it. You know, um, something that I always tell people, you know, men, women, kids, older people, you know, whatever. If they love to draw and they and they want to polish their, uh, their talent, there's a great book by the name of uh, uh, How to Draw Cars Like a Pro, and it's by Tom Taylor. You can get that on Amazon, and it's a, it's a wonderful book. It talks about dimensions, how to get perspective, uh, shading, how to make chrome look like chrome on your drawings. It's a, it's a great informational book, and actually there's a second edition out of it as well. Uh, I highly suggest anybody that's into drawing cars to do that. There's some of the stuff from Chip Foose in there, and uh, there's a lot of YouTube videos that show you some of the techniques. There's uh, there's so many great rendering artists out there that you know get inspired and grab some paper and some markers and go for it. Great advice. I think you just definitely do what uh, Dave said and it would work out. Well, and good luck with that because that's uh, certainly a great career. Look at some of the stuff that a lot of people here have done and uh, done well at. So that's good. All right, and we have our trivia segment. We have our trivia segment. This is all about cars. Easy enough, yeah, I think. You, you think you should do this? Okay, now, this week that we recorded this, sadly, 
Mike Connors passed away, Mannix. Uh, Mary Tyler Moore passed away from the Mary Tyler Moore Show. But they have car stories as well, and they have cars that are associated with the shows. Did you ever watch any of those shows growing up? Uh, Marilyn Tyler. Uh, Mary yeah, Tyler. Yeah, I've, I've, well, sure. Okay. I don't remember a hot rod in there. So. No, no hot rod. But in the beginning <laughs> sequence, and you may have even seen it on television, is when they do that opening sequence with the song. She's driving a white car. And the question is, is it a, and I had to look at that a couple of times to see myself, is it a white Camaro, a white Mustang, or a white 70 Toyota Corona? Jeez, that's a good question. That is so obscure. I'm going to go with uh, C. You're going with the Toyota Corona? Sure. It's the Mustang. And I see I knew that. But that's that. okay. Yeah. You, we knew you knew that. <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, we also talked to Wayne Carini. We think you could beat Wayne Carini. Really? I'm just saying, this may be a thrill. Mannix, okay? Mike Connors? Uh, he, when he first started the show, and you could see him all on YouTube now, which is hysterical. You sit there and go, okay. So, the first car he drove in the first couple episodes when he was still with Intertect, this, is, this takes you way back. Uh, was he driving a 68 Dart convertible, a customized Olds Tornado, and the obscure reference, the 67 Mercury Cyclone? Well, that's a good question because I'm actually not even familiar with that show. Oh. I'm a Dukes of Hazard, Knight Rider, Hardcastle, and McCormick. Okay, bonus question. <laughs> what was the car on Hardcastle and McCormick called? Uh, that was the Cody Coyote. It was based on a kit car by uh, a manufacturer that called it the Manta Montage, which was also based on the McLaren Mark VI, which I actually have one in the shop, and uh, still one of my very favorite cars. So I'm going to give him that one. I'm going to give him that one. That will overshoot the fact that he never saw Mannix before. Okay, I'm going to give you that one. Very and, good. One. And furthermore, the last season of Hardcastle and McCormick, they absolutely ruined the car by using the Lamborghini Countach replica and then retrofitting the McLaren front clip on it. Seriously. It was awful. Oh my yeah. gosh. But the first ones, huge fan of the cars. Okay. Well, there. He's one for two. <laughs> All right. Number three. And then Hawaii Five-0. You ever watch that show? Of course. Okay. The new Hawaii Five-0. This Steve McGarrett always drives Danny Williams's Camaro. Okay. The old Hawaii Five-0 with Jack Lord in it. He drove what car? 67 Ford Galaxy, 68 Mercury Park Lane, 68 Camaro. 68 Camaro. He drove a Mercury Park Lane. Man, I'm... That's okay. <laughs> One for three. You're still doing better than Wayne. But that's all right. Wayne, we love you. I just want to say, buddy. Okay. In the TV show Night Rider. Okay. All right. There we go. We all know about the Firebird, right? Of course. Okay. What was Kit in the 2008 remake? Was it a Firebird? A Mustang or a Charger? It was a Mustang. You sure about yeah, that? Yeah, positive. You're correct. Very good. Very good. We give an applause here for uh, Dave. He got something right here in the trivia. Thank you so much. All right. Now this is two for two for four. All right. Here we go. You watch James Bond movies? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Roger Moore in The Man with the Golden Gun. This is obscure enough that it might come in that you may remember. Roger Moore was driving this AMC Hornet and chasing a guy who got in a car. The car went off, like, went up a ramp and flew. Does that ring a bell at all? No, I was hoping you were saying it turned into a submarine because I know that one really well, but I'm not sure if that's well, the that same. Well, that may play. That may okay. play in this. That was a Lotus Esprit. Very good. So if it's not that, we know it's not by uh, deduction, the Lotus Esprit. So the question <laughs> is, 
Was it the car that flew with the AMC Hornet following it? Was it an AMC Matador, a Lotus Esprit, or a Peugeot? Uh, Remember, man. did I mention it was an AMC Hornet that was following? No kidding. Well, so, you know, I'm pretty sure that it was the uh, uh, A. AMC Matador. Matador. Very yes. good. Yep. You say AMC Matador? Yes. You That's are it. correct once again, ladies and gentlemen. Three out of five. You beat Wayne Carini, and now you can really? throw it in his face. Wow, that and see that's amazing because I just worked with Wayne Carini, uh, you know, this this weekend, but also Steve Mignani. You talk about oh. some people that have some car knowledge. <laughs> yes. Holy cow! I'm like going, how could he possibly know the color codes on every car that comes up here? And the man drives a dart altered to work. Mm -hmm. Did you see the time that he was in Connecticut? <laughs> so I had him on the show, and he was talking about the fact, and they showed it actually on the Velocity broadcast. It's parked in the lot. It's a dart altered, and he's that driving so it to work. Cool. Yeah, he's a he's a stud. Yeah, great guy. Dave Kindig of Bitchin' Rides. Hey, check out his show on Velocity, and check out the car online, as well as during our video podcast on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Hey, everybody, if you haven't subscribed to us yet on iTunes, don't forget, do it now. You'll be alerted when a new podcast is uploaded. Give us a review. We want to know what you think about our shows. And rank us. It's a way to do it right there on iTunes. It's pretty easy to do. And now, for the first time, we're entertaining sponsorships for our show. If you'd like to be a sponsor, it's simple. Contact us at talkingaboutcars at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Randy Cardoon. Join me as we have some fun talking about cars.